Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. Our verse-by-verse -verse study of the Gospel of Matthew has taken us to Matthew chapter 26. Here's verse 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. When the evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. This is the point at which all four Gospels converge. This is the approaching death of Jesus on the cross. Commentator J.C. Ryle, R-Y-L-E, whose commentary I've consulted throughout this series, describes a gospel without the death of Jesus like a solar system without a sun. Everything revolves around this. It is pivotal. This is the point at which the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. He's going to go through something incredibly painful. In this moment of betrayal, this was one of those pains. It was prophesied of old that it would be one with whom he shared his bread that he would be betrayed. It would make it all the more personal and all the more painful because they had broken bread together. You'll see that they are reclining here. They're not just reclining, they're like really reclining. They're sitting at what's called a triclinium wherein you would kind of like lay back on your side and then your feet would go behind the back of the one seated next to you. And so when we see the gospel accounts where in, in, in the Lord's Supper, wherein you have one laying his head against another, see the gospel of John, it kind of leads into this, where that's where John uh, writes about himself in the story, but with humility, he describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. It's all taking place right here in verse 26 at this triclinium where they're all lay, laying back and your feet go behind the back of the person next to you and all of you together kind of form this spiral uh, and you're all, you're all gathered together. So the, 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 classic, uh, the, the classic depiction, the classic painting of the Lord's Supper uh, isn't quite accurate. Also because they're all on one side of the table anyway <laughs> in that painting, just so you can see their faces. What they're really doing is reclining at the table. This is, this is also where this woman anoints Jesus' feet. That happens in verses 6 through 16. We have long forgotten the edicts and proclamations of emperors and kings, but we remember this woman. And by remembering her, we fulfill, we see a fulfillment rather of what Jesus prophesied. He described it this way. He said, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. He's exactly right, and here we are. But that beautiful touching moment gives way to this painful, painful prediction. And I'm struck by the incredulity of the disciples. 
no one suspected Judas. No one asked, yeah, it's, it's, it's Judas, right? I mean, he's super sketchy. <laughs> Even when Judas gets up and goes in, the, in John's gospel account, they just assume that he's gone to go give money to the poor or something. Like, even after Jesus has said this, like, he can't make it any more clear. It's the one who takes the bread after me. Jesus takes bread. Judas takes the bread. And they're still like, I'm lost. I don't know who this is. Uh, they, they had no clue. Not one of them suspected Judas. Judas had become a professional Christ follower. He was even used of God and anointed and dispatched temporarily as apostles. Do you remember that when the disciples were sent out in pairs and they were given this anointing? They were given this power from on high to work miracles, to exercise demons. Judas did that. He had been with Jesus since the very beginning. But money, the love of money, had taken root in his heart. He asks, what will you give me in return for forsaking Jesus? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Samson was betrayed to the Philistines for money. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery for money. Ananias and Sapphira forsook their own testimonies for the sake of money and, and appearing generous. It was, it was for money that these people uh, were betrayed. It was for money these people betrayed others. For money, Jesus was betrayed. We may have money without necessarily loving it, but oftentimes we love money when we don't have it. And that right there, that dearth of what we crave and what we love leads us to compromise our consciences. May you never literally sell your soul. What good is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? Be freed from a love of money because it was what caused Judas to betray the one who would last forever. He forsook the eternal one for something that would not last forever. In fact, you'll see the deep devastation it causes in Judas's heart that he tries to give the money back, but it doesn't solve what's in his soul. Mark 9, 44 describes a worm that's never satisfied, a fire that never goes out, and it's better never to have been born. This is, uh, this is morbid, this is brutal, but this is necessary. Even, I think today, a really prominent theologian, I don't want to name him until I've read firsthand what he's published to confirm it, but the, the, the propensity is just to downplay this reality, to downplay the severity of, uh, of hell itself. It would be better for him to have never been born. That's Jesus, red letter text, talking about Judas in verse 24 as he betrays Jesus. The, the common propensity is try, to, is try to lessen that severity. We saw it in our, actually in, in uh, last, last week's, uh, our last devotion of last week, this brutality of hell is just there. Uh, it's, it's something that we cannot, it, it, we, we, we cannot try to mitigate. It does us no good to try to downplay it. And it is a lie from the pit of hell to teach universalism. The devil's favorite doctrine is the idea that there's nothing wrong with you and you don't need to repent. You don't have sin. You haven't fallen short of the glory of God, all right? Uh, that you are beautiful the way that you are. That you are like the most high yourself. That was the very lie by which he fell. And then he lures others in with it as well. The brutality of hell, the brutality of Judas's fate, according to Jesus in this text, is something that's also, uh, it, it ought not be mitigated. We do ourselves and our, and our hearers no favors when we try to placate them 
by dodging this. Let Jesus talk. And this is what he said. The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go out just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. This was prophesied from of old. In John 17, we see this prayer uh, that Jesus gives before going to the cross. And he talks to God about the disciples, those whom you've given me. That's how he referred to his disciples, the ones you have given me. I've not lost any of them except for the one through whom prophecy would be fulfilled. This is God's prerogative. Poor Judas is the lament. Poor Judas is even a critique of Christianity. I know of at least one prominent published atheist. Uh, she says that that's the reason she can't believe in Jesus, because she just has sympathy for Judas. How unfair it is that he would have been born when it was better for him not to have been born. This is an argument from incredulity. It is God's prerogative to do this. Judas is also not innocent. We know that he has acted this way all along. Now, on the night leading up to the crucifixion, he is inhabited by Satan. They have this singular moment, according to John's gospel, when you harmonize John and Matthew, you know what really, uh, something else took place between verses 25 and 26, right? We know that before, uh, before, uh, before Judas goes, the two of them have a moment wherein Jesus tells Judas what you're about to do, do quickly. And then Judas just goes. That's tantamount to Judas's confession. It's like Jesus and the devil just had an interaction again for the first time since the temptation, as far as scripture records it. Judas is not innocent. The Pharisees were not innocent. Esau was not innocent. And uh, Pharaoh was not innocent. Romans 9 gives us a behind the scenes view of this wherein in the majority of the plagues of Egypt, Pharaoh was acting of his own free will, but in some of the plagues, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So God never hardens anyone's heart whose heart was not already hardened of his own volition. And when he uses them to demonstrate his glory, to realize his will, as is his prerogative as God, he will also then deal with them. For example, God would use uh, a nation like Assyria he would use the Egyptians to discipline the nation of Israel, but then after he would use them for that, he would discipline them. He would discipline Moab. He would discipline Assyria. He would obviously pour out wrath and discipline Egypt. So God did this on an individual level with Judas. He was used to fulfill prophecy. He was not innocent. After he was used to betray the Son of Man, he himself was dealt with by God. We see prophecy fulfilled and it's not beautiful, but it is necessary. Because of the atoning work of Jesus, because of this sacrifice, we have atonement, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 reads, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Because of this death, because of what Judas did, because the cross was set into motion, there is atonement for the sins of all who believe in Jesus. That is incredible, incredible goodness brought about from terrible, terrible betrayal. So look to Judas, see 
prophecy fulfilled, see the death of the Son of God as the atonement for the sins of all who believe in him. And may that be you, my friend. If you have not yet, would you confess your faith in Christ? Would you not share in part the fate of Judas such that it would have been better for you never to have been born? Instead, may you be born again. Pray with me right now. God, I look at this text and I'm filled with fear at the wrath that you have for sin, sin exactly like the sin that's in my heart. I may not be Judas, but I've sinned too. Would you forgive me, God? Would you forgive me for my sin that separates me from you? Would you forgive me, God, for the sin whose wages is death? And instead, may I experience the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.